Thanks for tuning in. I'm Scott Walter. And I'm Michael Watson. In this episode, we discuss the way that labor unions and environmentalists drive up the price of your car. This is the Influence Watch podcast. Influencers in Washington sometimes appear remote from our daily lives, but every time you turn the key or push the button to start your car, influencers have shaped your daily drive. A number of influencers, environmentalists, labor unions, and other activists make driving more expensive. For instance, recently at the urging of car makers, the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, relaxed Obama administration regulations that would have mandated much higher fuel mileage standards for car manufacturers, and they did so over the objections of environmentalists and some car parts suppliers. The so-called CAFE standards lead uh, buyers of pickup trucks and SUVs to subsidize the buyers of compact cars and hybrid electric vehicles. Car buyers, at least those buying from Detroit's Big Three, also have to deal with paying for lavish union wage and pension packages that were negotiated by the United Auto Workers Union. But less than a decade after making out like bandits at the expense of taxpayers in the Chrysler and GM government bailouts, the union is rocked by scandal as the feds pursue former UAW leaders and Chrysler executives for a corrupt kickback scheme. Uh, now, uh, Mike, I believe you just bought one of those cars that those of us who have an SUV are subsidizing. Uh, yeah, I just bought a new Honda Fit. So I'd like to personally thank all the sport utility vehicle, pickup truck, and performance car drivers in the audience for subs somewhat subsidizing my purchase. Now, we all got a choice to decide about subsidizing your car when exactly? Uh, you didn't. That's how this all works. Oh, um, yes. That's right. We're in Washington. <laughs> this just sort of happens. Uh, yes. the, in the 1970s, uh, when I'm sure everyone watching was alive, I certainly wasn't, um, uh, the Nixon administration, at the height of the oil crisis, decided that they would bring the, the, the car into the future by mandating these so-called corporate average fuel economy standards. And more or less, there are so many loopholes that it's hard for me to get my fully wrap my head around, much less to then explain. Um, the EPA sets rules that your, you know, let's let's use Honda as an example. You know, when you look at the the Fit, the Civic, the Accord, the performance models event of the of the Civic, the uh, anything that doesn't technically qualify as a light truck, all has to average a certain gas mileage, uh, and as a result. If you want to buy something at the heavy end of the of the spectrum, a big car or a um, or a big vehicle that doesn't qualify as a light truck, then you, the company has to sell more little cars. And the way that they sell more little cars is to have cross subsidization between the big cars and little cars. Uh, yeah, I was. So the point is, it's the average right. mileage of all the cars sold. Right. It's the it's the average across the company, and then. I mean, some of these subsidies, these cross subsidies, get wild. I was I was reading apparently Fiat Chrysler, uh, the Fiat 500e, which is their electric city runabout econo box thing. Uh, they sell at a ten thousand. They sell at a fourteen thousand dollar loss, or they were selling at a fourteen thousand dollar loss at one point, just so that they could sell more Dodge Chargers and Dodge Hellcats and 
you yeah, know, high, they have to, high, they, high, high performance and big sedans. Yeah. They have to force on an unwilling public uh, the little cars to improve, which have high mileage, to improve the company's overall mileage record. Now, the Obama administration regulations that are now being monkeyed with by the new administration uh, were pretty darn extreme, weren't they? What, uh, what was it supposed to top so out their at number, their 2025? Their number in 2025 was supposed to be 54 and a half corporate average with, again, modified by the loopholes. Uh, the car I just bought, which is a tiny Econobox, gets 40. <laughs> yeah, so in other words, your little tiny car, which my, little, my family of six would probably not fit in on for uh, an extended not, not vacation. Le- not legally. No, it only yes. seats five. In fact, we'd probably have to strap somebody to the— just You'd have forget to— Forget strapping luggage to the roof. We'd have to strap have a kid to, to the roof. You'd have to hide somebody in the trunk, yeah. So that thing of yours doesn't come close to the— average to be required in 2025 right. and that's an average after taking into account the Honda Pilot full-sized SUV that right. if, if they're allowed to sell if, one of those sure yeah um yeah and for this reason because american drivers who don't live in downtown washington dc and have to parallel park more than they actually drive uh uh generally prefer larger more substantive uh more seats that you get in a sport utility vehicle, a minivan, a full-size sedan. Yeah. And by the way, let's throw out there as well, of course, let's say that I'm a poor recent immigrant trying to get my lawn service company functioning. Gosh, am I going to be able to fit my uh, lawnmowers? Right. Am I going to be able to tow my right. lawnmowers many... behind your fit? No. No. You For that, you need a pickup truck. <laughs> and, uh, and so... For all these many good reasons, uh, the car companies have found, and as thanks to the fracking revolution, the price of fuel has fallen from where it was uh, back in 2008 to 10. Yeah, I have to say real quick, amusingly, the frackers managed to hurt the oil companies' profits much more than, uh, than by lowering the price right, right. The, of the, the commodity. The, 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 the Obama administration, the environmentalists, really wanted to get at big oil, and it ended up being a glutton oil supply that got at big oil. Yes. Um, but so the, you know, these rules were promulgated uh, in, I believe it was sometime between 2009 and 2011 in the early Obama administration. And... Back then, gas was more expensive. People were buying more small cars. There was a there was a thinking that you know small cars and car sharing was going to be the wave of the future, and then the price of oil came down, and then the economy recovered, and now people are buying. Why they're buying sport utility vehicles, light trucks, minivans, uh, all the all the big vehicles that Americans like with our large suburban home. You know, not our because I live in downtown Washington D.C., but your large suburban homes. Uh, Let's also add in there, too, of course, if you were a farmer, uh, you, too, might not be able to get by with an econo box for your work. You need a pickup truck. Yes. People who who are hauling around, you know, or building materials, uh, uh, farm, you know, farm equipment need towing capacity, need need a bed to put two-by-fours in. Uh, I don't. Yep. But other now, people of course, do. <laughs> I'm sure it's entirely coincidental that the Obama administration's vote totals in rural areas with lots of pickup trucks was somewhat low. I and again, you know, you in that sort of things you'll never hear about from the media, uh, 
shortly after Trump got elected, uh, a gentleman on a gentleman on Twitter by the name of John Ekdahl uh, proposed to the press corps who mainly live in large metropolitan areas, and if they own cars, own cars like mine, uh, how many people do you know with a pickup truck? And they just got so offended by it, um, which is interesting because I believe at the time, and I believe it is still the case, that the best-selling single-make model in the United States is a Ford F-150. Yes. So not that the media is out of touch at all, but uh, what else? So we have a classic case here of uh, regulations, of course, tend to just ratchet, 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 get more and more constricting on everyone until things become so painful that then the lies and dodges and, and complications that employ so many of our fine lobbyists here in D.C. start to take effect. So as has happened, the car manufacturers and their lobbyists and their, uh, what's the, uh, the, the trade group is? The Al Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers, I believe is their current name. Yeah, so that's Former, the, Formerly the Auto Alliance. There you go. Well, you got to change it every few years so gotta, people yeah. don't know so, so people, what it so is. Gets, so, gets, so, it, so it freshens it freshens up a bit. You get, you know, the lobbyists all get new suits. It's all. <laughs> yes. So, so they now have the task of sort of pretending not really to be doing anything, but in fact making all kinds of horribly complicated tweaks to these ever-tightening reg regulations so that their business clients can squeak by. So what are a few of the dodges, lies, fakes, and, and the rest that, that we're dealing with uh, on this? Well, let's, I mean, let's go back to, to 2016. So after the November election, Trump wins, surprising just about everyone in Washington. The Obama administration EPA, the, the way that these rules were written, there is a midterm reveal halfway through this, uh, you know, halfway, the through big long the, halfway through the big long cycle that ends in 2025. And the Obama administration EPA, realizing that the Trump administration EPA was probably going to be more inclined to take a deregulatory approach, more inclined to listen to the concerns of the automakers, rushed the midterm reveal in between the election and the inauguration in January of 2017. Uh, so now the Trump administration has initiated a rulemaking, which is a formal process that by which uh, the government, by the formal process by which the government regulates or unregulates um, in order to ease that 54.5 uh, miles to the gallon target. Now, even amongst the auto manufacturers, there are some uh, there are some who want a more or less more easy target, and others who want just a little bit easier target. Uh, I believe Honda's in the little bit easier category. Because um, they're actually cause, selling because they're because they're selling because they're selling a fair number of small a uh, fair number of small cars, whereas a Ford is selling a bunch of pickup trucks. Um, the so there's some conflict there. The manufacturers of engine control units and other uh, technical car innovations that manage, you know, that the electronic part that in those V8s that turn off the four cylinders when you're sitting at the stoplight, uh, they want to keep the um, tough standards, keep the cafe standards as high, if even if they can't get them to be as high as the Obama administration wanted them. 
they want to keep them high so that there's still a demand for their engine management products. Yep. And let's, let me jump in there just to make the point, this is a very classic uh, phenomenon in regulation, and that is uh, the left loves to preen about we're opposed to those horrible big corporations, but nearly always in the end it comes down to Actually, there are corporations on both sides of an issue, and you folks are helping one side it's a, of corporations. It's a, if, if you are a manufacturer who has an advantage when people like me come to the dealership and buy a really small car, you want to keep the CAFE standards high. Maybe not as high as the Obama administration had them, but you want, you want it to be, I mean, it, in in fact, the way that the laws, the way that the uh, Obama administration standards are written, there's a trading system. So if, real world example, Fiat Chrysler, uh, they, they were missing the targets. So they had to buy a bunch of these credits and from car- companies, from that, companies that had more than that were, the ma- that were, me- that were yeah. meeting the target, like Honda. Uh, so you can see where, even if both Chrysler and Honda want it to be somewhat easier, Honda would like it to be stricter than Fiat Chrysler. Yes. So, uh, so please, left our left-wing listeners, keep in mind you are helping one set of big corporations against another. That, by the way, explains why when you look at political donations by big corporations, they typically split around 60-40 between the parties, almost even, as Business, opposed to... Businesses are far more interested in backing winners and getting the ear of legislators than advancing an ideological program in a way that a trades union is, in the yes. way that a single-issue group is. Exactly. So if you look at single-issue groups, trade unions, and their hard political giving, the numbers tend to be not 60-40, but 97-3, 98-2, 1 or 100%. Uh, as we've discussed on previous uh, uh, shows that we've had. Well, um, so you talked about the, uh, we, we talked a bit about how the regs are being uh, twisted and contorted. There's also, I believe, um, cr- uh, even more complicated, you can get, a ma- car manufacturer can get credit for little teeny tweaks to its cars uh, and that too counts, even if those tweaks don't really show up in the actual mileage. Right. There's rules about the car's footprint. Apparently, how much land it takes up when it's parked. Uh, it's it's all it's all very complicated. And, and wasn't there, and then air conditioning technical. something about the air conditioning? I think I remember reading you, there air con, certain types of air conditioning components will get you credits and all. So yes, and again. Uh, we want to remind people, if you think you like the sound of some of these regulations, let us remind you that these regulation regimes only get not only more and more tight, but they also get more and more complex so that no normal human being can ever make sense of them, which is ideal for the lobbyists whose entire lives revolve around uh, tweaking the tiny little things that even the and congressional if you, and if you, staffers and if, they're talking right, to and don't if, understand. And if you think that these, uh, you know, these very large multinational multinational companies like the automakers uh, aren't using those loopholes to advance their interests, uh, no, they are. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's another thing. 
when you have to employ lots of lobbyists who specialize in these things, and by the way, the lobbyists typically were previously hill rats working for various members of Congress or themselves members of Congress. Um, the, uh, in addition to that, the only big companies can pay for all the accountants and lobbyists and the rest that are required to comply with the horrible regulatory regime, right. so which if means so, that so, if, so you're, you were, if you were planning to resurrect the Packard brand, yes. uh, you'd have to deal with all of this stuff that was written by GM. Yeah. So again, for our friends on the left, all your regulatory regimes help to entrench the biggest car manufacturers and absolutely prevent little guys from ever being able to break into a market. Well, uh, let's switch from the car manufacturing side of this to the uh, car labor union side of this. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, there has been a big fat and continuing to develop scandal related to the main car workers union, which is the United Auto Workers. Uh, they and uh, executives at Chrysler had some very interesting arrangements going on. Uh, tell us a bit about that, Mike. Sure. So. The UAW represents the auto workers at of the what are traditionally called the big three, the Detroit big three: General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler, which was now after the uh, auto bailout, which involved a massive payoff to the uh, United Auto Workers by the Obama administration. Uh, Fiat Chrysler; they were bought by Italian Fiat. Uh, and in 2014-15, they were negotiating their new collective bargaining agreement to, for, to cover all the, all the workers at the various uh, Fiat Chrysler plants. And it was, it was fairly controversial. The, uh, the workers were rather disinclined to ratify it. They thought it, it was not favorable enough to them. Uh, and... It was it was hard it was hard fought. The UAW had to hire the uh, labor PR firm uh, Berlin Rosen to about which you can find a long write up in Influence Watch. Uh, had to, had to hire the the PR firm Berlin Rosen, this big labor uh, labor union PR firm that's worked for prominent Democratic politicians like New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman and New York City Mayor uh, Bill De Blasio. To advocate that yes, you should rat, you know, you workers should ratify this contract. And so just to reinforce that, the bosses hired a PR firM to no, get no, the no, workers. no, 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 no. The, U, the UAW, UAW, the the union, the union bosses mm -hmm. hired the PR firM to convince the workers to vote for the contract the union bosses negotiated with Fiat. Yes. And as that was going on, lo and behold, we discover that. The Fiat Chrysler chief negotiator, a gentleman by the name of Al Iacobelli, was paying kickbacks uh, money to the union leaders to the, who were to in the charge union to the union to union officials who were in charge of the negotiation and then in charge of advocating for it to be ratified. Well, now kickbacks said maybe they were a little small, like maybe a couple of tickets to a ball game, or was it bigger than that? Uh, we're talking in the millions of dollars, uh, million and a half. Uh, Iacobelli pled guilty to paying uh, to arranging a million and a half. Uh, it looks like it might have been even bigger, uh, yeah, according, I, to I the, according to the allegations. I think I four and a half million four and a, the most recent The most recent, thing, most recent number I have seen is that the feds are alleging four and a half million. Uh, and they were paying it to a, you, the, the kind of the ringleader on the union side was a gentleman by the name of General Holyfield, 
uh, who had the decency to pass away before all of this came out. Although uh, his uh, widow is being his pursued widow, by his the widow, police. His widow, I believe, pled guilty. Yeah. Uh, but I am not certain of that. Um, she, she either has been charged or has pled guilty, uh, as have other... Um, uh, and, and other union officials have been charged. For whatever it's worth, the international president of the United Auto Workers is absolutely certain that the kickback scheme did not affect the collective bargaining. Yes, I'm sure four and a half million had, had it provided no lubrication whatsoever. No lubrication uh, whatsoever. But um, even though, as you said a minute ago, somehow a lot of the workers <laughs> didn't think it was a particularly good contract for some odd reason. But the, um, well, I want to follow up on the... Uh, the, the widow of uh, General Holyfield there, the union, one of the union guys uh, involved in the scam, uh, not only did she benefit because her husband was getting all kinds of money and perks and goodies, uh, but uh, since we focus on the nonprofit world, I want to point out that prosecutors are alleging that uh, Ms. Morgan's photo business once received $70,000 from a charity that was supposed to help children struggling with hardships. Uh, and the government says the charity was really a sham set up by General Holyfield and uh, the fiat, the, 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 yeah, the lead I, 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 briber I, 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 Cabelli, in the fiat Cabelli, side. The, the, uh, the fiat Chrysler executive who apparently organized all this. Yes. And the one of them, uh, as I recall, on the union side even bragged that uh, this is how we keep the union guys fat, dumb, and happy, is with all of the millions in lubrication. So, uh, the, the, by the way, I think the, the last thing I saw was that we are now up to six people who have been charged. Yeah, they, uh, this, and, and there, is, uh, there is some suspicion now that the feds are going to have to go reopen uh, investigations into, because how the, how the UAW bargains with the automakers, it's common labor tactic, it's used by, if you're in California, it's used in grocery stores. It's called pattern bargaining. If I am the union, I, one union represents workers across multiple firms. So the UAW represents GM, Chrysler, and Ford. And the UAW knows that if the UAW had a really, really padded, fat contract with GM, and a lean austerity contract with Chrysler, that that would give Chrysler an advantage over GM, and that would give, the, and that would risk the possibility of losing members from losing business at Ford. So what they do is they stagger the contracts so they all expire within they expire in order, and the uh, the union goes to whoever expires first and negotiates a contract that is going to serve as the model for all of them. And so because there was this kickback arrangement, the question then becomes, if the UAW was engaged in pattern bargaining, was, was there also lubrication being engaged in by the other two? Nothing has been proven, but presumably it must be investigated. No, cer certainly. And uh, again, I think we should stress the millions upon millions of dollars that went into luxury vehicles, fabulous vacations, my personal favorite in the scandal, $35,000 Mont Blanc pens. That sounds like something you'd use to, to smuggle your money out of Switzerland. Right, right. Not that, 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 that sounds like, like, like uh, 
I well the, the like the former governor of Virginia with the seventy five thousand dollar Rolex or the uh, or the former Trump campaign chairman who had bought like several million dollars worth of rugs. You know, it's very it's had thirty five thousand yeah. dollar pins. Well, or I, a, as I think about <laughs> it, I'm fifty four and I've never bought for myself or my family a thirty five thousand dollar car. Um, but uh, anyway, the the source of the millions upon millions of dollars involved in this lubrication scheme was a fund that was supposed to go to training workers and helping them be able to advance in yeah, their to advance careers. To advance in their career and compete with yes. uh, with workers abroad and with uh, yes. and to modern and modernize the operations at the big three automakers. Yes. And and I would add in the case of the charity from the uh, wife of one of the union officials, that was a charity supposedly helping handicapped children. So um, this is unfortunately an ugly pattern in the sort of thing we talk about at Influence Watch. I mean, I you know I, I remember back when I first moved to Washington, one of the city councilors had a uh, had a charity that was supposed to be for youth sports, and he was using it for embezzlement. <laughs> yes. So uh, we should always be wary about people preening on a public stage, saying we're we are there to help the working families. We're there to help the worker and the rest. Well, not all Good of intentions them are. are not a substitute for aggressive oversight. Yes. So not all of them are. And in fact, the, uh, and the mainstream media, this is one of my complaints with the mainstream media, which somehow always manages to take the uh, claims to purity and selflessness uh, for granted, at least when they come until, from the left un, side un, of the until, spectrum. Uh, until the feds show up. Yes. So, well, uh, we talked about how the, the lavish contracts uh, that unions are often able to uh, have traditionally been able to win from um, the big three in Detroit. Well, of course, uh, in my living memory, uh, Detroit was the, one of the richest cities in the nation. That is not uh, a sobriquet that has been given to it in recent years. They're out of bankruptcy now. <laughs> yes, barely. Uh, although it took charity, partly because big charities <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, partly because the Ford Foundation. Was it the Ford Foundation that bailed them out? One, one of the, there were, <laughs> there were multiple, but yes, there were, so charities helped to bail the town out. But it's still not a very, let's put it this way, you wouldn't want to be a realtor uh, with uh, the city of Detroit as your you, base. You could, that, that you would, you, if certainly you would have to really, <laughs> You'd have to be a really good realtor. You'd have to be yes. a really entrepreneurial realtor to make a make a good living there. So the again in the in the same kind of pattern of claiming to to help folks, but in fact ending up hurting them. Uh, the big three took great big hits, which is why there had to be that huge government bailout you've talked about from the taxpayers. Um, and Detroit and Michigan as a whole are certainly not flourishing as a result of. Uh, the monopoly bargaining power that the UAW had against those big three, so that the auto industry now is shifting to other states, mostly states that have right-to-work laws. Although, 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 partly because the economic depression brought on by uh, the UAW, by both UAW labor practices and some mismanagement, uh, drove so many people out of the state of Michigan. Um, Michigan is now a right to work, has been a right to work state since 2012. Um, the the core of union the core of union power sufficiently depleted because plants closed. People saw 
the high cost model was not working. And yeah, they were being outcompeted by, uh, you know, again, our ostensibly Japanese cars. Mine was manufactured in Mexico, but I'm pretty sure they make Accords somewhere in the southern United States. <laughs> uh, I, you know, they make Nissans in Mississippi. They make uh, Toyotas in Tennessee, I think. Um, and VWs. That was and, the big and, Volks, and Volks, Volkswagens in Tennessee, where the UAW got a toehold uh, through a weird, basically, loophole in the labor law, uh, despite the fact that when they tried to unionize the plant, they got voted down. Um, and when the UAW last year went to, to, went to Mississippi, uh, despite bringing in, they, they brought in the cavalry. They brought in, was it Danny Glover? Yeah. Uh, they brought in, you know, the, they brought in, like, veteran, I think they brought in, like, veterans of the anti-apartheid campaigns in South Africa. Uh, they lost, I think, two to one. Yep, pretty pretty badly. The um, uh, and meanwhile, some of our listeners are driving Fords that were not made in Detroit but Mexico. So uh, even as uh, <laughs> even as I'm driving a Japanese car made in uh, the Southeast America. Um, well, the the larger theme of the show here is how all these influencers are making your and my cars well less yours than mine <laughs> cars Thank more you. expensive. Um, and I, I want to get one other uh, quick thing in here before we go to some other stuff. Uh, we often discuss environmentalists, and there is a related thing that, make your, that makes your daily commute more expensive, and that is just as we have these uh, unreasonable regula- regulations for uh, mileage in the cars that manufacturers sell, we also have unreasonable regulations for the ethanol in the gasoline that you that people have to buy, and our vice president, uh, Dr. Stephen Allen, uh, testified last year at an EPA hearing because the EPA is also trying to look look into this unreasonable, uh, in fact, impossible uh, to meet standards for the ever rising uh, addition of ethanol to gasoline. And I, I just want to quote his uh, his line here that the, these uh, standards already, and certainly in the projected increase uh, in ethanol requirements. Uh, They reduce the mileage of motor vehicles. They funnel money from consumers to well-connected crony capitalists. They raise the price of food, including food for the world's poor. They destroy rainforest and wetlands and expand the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. That's a pretty impressive accomplishment. Yeah, you have have these. They were originally demanded by environmentalists, but in a classic Mm -hmm. case of what you were describing earlier where you know, the supposedly fighting for the working man and fighting for the planet left aligns with corporate interests that then benefit from the regulations that are written. Uh, <clears throat> the farm state interests, the uh, the farm bureaus, the Corn Growers Association, uh, seeing that they were going to be able to sell a lot more corn... At higher prices. At higher prices, uh, aligned... And they were the one, they were and are the ones who are really driving this, even more so now than the environmentalists. Yes. But uh, those wonderful, selfless, altruistic environmentalists uh, helped them out. Well, uh, speaking of our environmentalist friends uh, and switching back to the CAFE standards, uh, the, uh, the regulations that govern we're all, the— we're all, we're, all ta- we're all talking about fuel. Now we're talking about yes. how, about how yes. efficient you have to be. How efficient the fuel is, the fuel is burned in your car. Um, the Sierra Club has been particularly active in fighting for the high mileage uh, regulation, I believe. Yeah, the Sierra Club, which is one of the bigger, I don't, they might be the biggest, but they're one of the 
couple biggest. Uh, and should be looked up on influencewatch.org to check. Uh, environmentalist groups in the country, uh, they have pushed very heavily and especially, again, taking that sort of left-wing tactic of picking a target and freezing it, uh, they've gone specifically after Ford. And they've been doing this kind of on a myth, which they apparently invented 12 years ago. Supposedly, according to the Sierra Club, the Model T made in the 1910s was getting 25 miles to a gallon of gasoline. Uh, to the extent that anyone has attempted to confirm this, that is a myth. Uh, num- the Ford apparently says it was between 13 and 21. Uh, you know, Motor Trend agrees with Ford. <laughs> um, the but the but the idea was by the Sierra Club was that we'll say, ha ha, you haven't improved gas mileage in a uh, hundred years, therefore you are in cahoots with big oil for some evil dark conspiracy. There's a very good reason that the progress in fuel mileage has not been as as high as groups like the Sierra Club might want, and that's that cars have gotten a lot heavier. And let me guess, are there regulations pushed by other parts of the left, Ralph Nader, call your office, related to this? Right. No, you have the the so-called consumer advocacy groups, a lot of them this is how Ralph Nader got his start, right? With the Pinto and the supposedly faulty fuel tank. Well, and before that, the Chrysler Corvair, but that was long before you were born. <laughs> um, Unsafe at Any Speed was, I think, his very first book, I, which that, referred that was, to the Yeah, that was certainly, certainly, one of, certainly one of the titles of yeah. his books. Um, which I can add, one of my aunts had Corvairs, adored them, uh, drove them until, her, until they weren't made anymore, and then drove her last one until it literally fell apart. That's how much she loved her, uh, Mr. Nader's boogeyman but um but so as a result of people like mr nader uh there's there's been increased safety safety features increased uh and then because consumers want them increased comfort features and as a result my little honda econo box is about 50 percent heavier than the model t which means that even though the engines have gotten a lot more efficient, they're pulling a lot more weight. Yep. And uh, our friends at the Wall Street Journal like to point out that the cafe, that coffee will not kill you, but cafe standards may kill you. So uh, that's another issue here, right. isn't the, it? Right. Uh, the drawback to my car is that if I get in a crash with a big car or a truck, uh, there's a lot less to crumple and a lot less until it gets inside the safety cell, inside the cabin, and starts hurting you. Um, yes. the, insurance, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, who are generally recognized as the experts in automobile safety in the United States. And they're just bean counters in this case. They're, yeah, they're, they, they, work for the, they work for basically the car insurance companies, the people yes. who have a vested financial interest in determining how much damage car crashes do. Yeah, accurately. <laughs> accurately. Yes. Um, they... On their list of recommended cars for you know for teenage drivers, and you're worrying about you know is my is my kid going to crash, and if he does crash, which he probably will, will he be safe? Uh, they recommend no. They they assert fully bigger, heavier vehicles are safer. Safer, and on their recommended list, they have no small or mini cars, uh, because in a if you do crash, bigger tends to be better. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. And now that was, amusingly, that was a business group's uh, researchers being honest and accurate in what's going on. The, some of the government bureaucracies that swirl around these regulations have been less honest, I believe, about this. They, they, may ha- they may have been. I, I certainly wouldn't put it past the Obama administration, EPA, to nudge, nudge people down at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to assert that, you know, the econo boxes do just as fine when they hit, when they get hit by a, you know, semi-truck, uh, as implausible as, as implausible as that is. And that's one of the things in the rulemaking that the Trump administration has, uh, has brought forward, uh, again, complexities of regulation what are what would be the effects of make of setting the Obama administration standard on traffic safety yep no that's uh, that's true well let's while while we're discussing the uh, environmentalist aspect uh, of this uh, Sierra Club is certainly uh, taking one of the top roles of leadership uh, but you also have groups like the National Resources Defense Council involved and the Union of Concerned Scientists. Uh, they both were big lobbyists right. for the Obama administration and, rules. And both staunch advocates for very, for very strict restrictions on, uh, on automobiles. Um, it's very interesting for the NRDC, given that one Leonardo DiCaprio is on their board, and I'm pretty sure he flies private. <laughs> You'd know the last thing, the last news story I saw, thanks to his publicist, was I think he might even have uh, gotten down to coach on oh. a flight. But I'm sure they were probably uh, probably paying for a lot of photographers to they take his pay, picture. Paying, and paying coach. for the photographers, and of course, uh, if you, I read somewhere once that if you fly internationally, uh, you no matter. Uh, you, you have admitted more carbon dioxide just from your round-trip international flight. One, I suspect Mr. DiCaprio takes more than one per year uh, than the average person does just with their living their lives. Yes. Well, you know, you need a little time in Fiji to relax <laughs> from the, the, the roughness of cashing those paychecks for the, for the movies you make. But, uh, well, uh, before we close... Uh, is there anything else that we should say about the United Auto Workers, which has traditionally been one of the larger of the of the heavy industry unions um, in America? Now, those are declining in influence compared to the government worker unions, but still, the UAW is right. The, U- to the UAW at. still has a has a number has a pretty high membership. Um, they're also trying to expand outside of the auto industry. Uh, casino workers in some states are now uh, UAW represented. UAW has tried to organize uh, graduate students, uh, graduate teaching assistants at universities, uh, and have had some success, although the changing in administrations and the changing at the National Labor Relations Board is going to affect whether or not that's going to be allowed, um, at least for the current administration. Now, I have to jump in there and say that I strongly suspect that the average United Auto Worker uh, at a car manufacturer maintains a much higher standard uh, of um, uh, producing what he's supposed product, to produce, product. Uh, much, much, <laughs> much higher quality work product than the average graduate assistant in our nation's institutions of the higher learning. But Ads, you know, they Ford Fords are pretty good now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and and they also are trying and have tried with only extremely limited success to organize the Southern uh, transplant. Uh, plants like Honda and uh, Toyota and Nissan. Um, 
what's perhaps more interesting to kind of tie this all together, a lot of what we've been discussing are issues of consumer choice, of the buyer's, buyer's wishes versus the wishes of the government and the, ish, and the wishes of these uh, left-of-center left advocacy, advocacy interest groups. So you have environmentalists who want everyone to drive small cars, to drive uh, electric vehicles, to drive, um, ideally not to drive. Yeah, uh, yes, um, exactly. And then you have the United Auto Workers who are very adamant that you buy a union-made car, uh, famously for a very long time. The UAW, when it went at all UAW union halls, there was a rule that you couldn't park our foreign... quote-unquote foreign car. A quote-unquote foreign car uh, in the UAW lot. Uh, right now, the administration is proposing uh, a renegotiation of the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, which means that if I was buying my car next year, if it goes badly, I might have had to pay duty on it. And the UAW is very adamant that the labor standards in that, in any renegotiation, be union labor standards. It's, it's a classic case, you know, again, it's a classic case of an interest group trying to protect itself and in that way going right through consumers. Yes. So, so neither the consumer nor, in many cases, the workers themselves, as we saw in the Fiat Chrysler scandal, uh, can trust their supposed saviors and benefactors. Well, uh, that is our show for this week. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, know that we broadcast a live video version of this podcast uh, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live and YouTube. You can find our pages by searching Capital Research Center. And if you're watching the video version, we encourage you to subscribe to the audio on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next week.